0: So this is what I want to do. Um, I think what I would start with is I want to reset where we've been very quickly. Some of you are aware that this Christmas series, Silence and Song, is focused on the birth of, of John. And he was the one John the, who would become John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for Jesus. And so what I would like to do is sort of reset where we, where we are at. I want to reread the passage that we've explored the last week and, and I'm going to read it though from a different translation. So we're just gonna scroll it on the overhead and then later we'll get to the passages in the handout. But I wanna scroll it on the overhead and again this is uh, the verses that we've been looking at past couple of weeks but I want us just kind of see it, sort of refresh it in our mind. So uh, they'll, they'll, they'll put it up there and I'll just read it through. During the rule of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest who was assigned service in the regiment of Abijah. And his name was Zechariah, and his wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron. We talked about that. Her name was Elizabeth. Together, they lived honorably before God. They were careful in keeping to the ways of the commandments and enjoying a clear conscience before God. But they were childless because Elizabeth could never conceive. She um, was quite old. And so it happened that as Zechariah was carrying out his priestly duties before God, working the shift that was assigned to his regiment, it came his one turn in life to enter the sanctuary of God and burn incense. Those of you who were here last week or heard the message, um, you remember that this was a remarkable moment. It might happen one time in the life of a priest. This was the one moment. It could, In some cases, people would go their entire lifetime and never be given the opportunity to serve in the holy place, in the temple. It was like hit the, the pinnacle of his career, if you could put it that way. Maybe the most, in his mind, maybe the most sacred thing he would ever do. And it says that while he was doing this, it came his one turn in life to enter the sanctuary of God and burn incense. He was representing his people before the Lord. The congregation, they were gathered and praying outside the temple at the hour of the incense offering, the incense being like prayers being offered up. As the prayers are going up, the incense as well. And, but it says, unannounced, an angel of God appeared just to the right of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was paralyzed in fear. But the angel reassured him, don't, don't fear, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear, you, bear a son by you, and you are to name him John. Now, the first note is the overwhelming sense of fear that fell upon Zechariah. I was trying, and I'm trying to get us, if we can all sort of reset, maybe go there in our mind's eye, but he's alone in this holy place, right? It's kind of, um, it's kind of more dark. There are no windows, all right? It's, it's, it has a flickering light, but it's dim, there's fire, Burning for where the incense goes. Yes, there, but it's, it's like a darkened area. And then to the right of the altar of incense, all of a sudden while he's doing this, wanting to do everything as he's been taught, as correctly as he can, being as open to God, being as sincere as he's ever been in his whole life to represent the prayers of the people, this one and last time in his life, an old man that he is, he will do it to the best of his abilities. And as he's here in this environment, everything that he's been prepared for, and, and in the darkness with the flickering light, he he senses there's a figure to the right, and, and then a voice calls out, Who who is it? No one's supposed to be in here, right? He's startled for that moment. It, Just try try to put yourself there. He's not expecting it at all. Like, who who are you? His heart starts pounding, right? All of a sudden, he's terrified. And like when you get startled by something you could totally not expect, almost like his breath is gone. You, you, You can lose your breath in those moments. He's terrified. What is this? Who are you? What's going on? He can barely breathe. It's an angel. But perhaps that angel looked more like a man or a figure in the darkness. Again, the light flickering. And he can't understand. No one's supposed to be in here. Who who are you? And then the words that come back to him, right? Zechariah, do not be afraid. But Zechariah is afraid. And who can blame him? Thinks to himself, he knows my name. Right? And in that moment, it's the angel, perhaps, again, it, 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 that, that looked like a man. Who are you? And, you know, it's interesting. Don't be afraid. There are at least, if you look at the, read the Gospels, you'll find that there are three examples of an, of an angel kind of interacting with, with people in the, in, the, in the story of Jesus' birth and that whole event surrounding it, Right. There's at least three times where their their words and the the reaction of the people each time is the same. Fear. And then each time the response to the reaction is the same. Don't be afraid. All three times. The first time is, and I'll just kind of refer to them in our mind's eye. This is the one we just read. And in the Christmas story, again, later on, the angel Gabriel is going to come to Mary. And to announce the birth of Jesus in her womb, and we we know from the scripture that in similar way to Zechariah, her first reaction is to be filled with fear, right? And she's going to be greatly troubled, terrified, and the response is the same: "Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God." And then, oh, nine months later, on Christmas Day, in Luke two. In Bethlehem, the shepherds are keeping watch in the field when, and, and how can we say, um, uh, how can we say this, all heaven breaks loose, right? All heaven breaks loose. And it says the shepherds were greatly afraid, terrified, and the answer is the same. Fear not, don't be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then after telling them that the baby could be found, a heavenly extravaganza breaks out for the shepherds in the field in Bethlehem. And angels and lights are shooting everywhere. And then they break out, we're told, in a song, right? They start singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I'm kidding, they didn't sing that song, but that's where that song comes from, right? heaven breaks out on the shepherds. But in, it, what was interesting, Zechariah, Mary, and the shepherds all have this kind of interaction with this divine figure, or at least in their minds, something that was sent from heaven. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Some type of an angel. But they didn't know who it was. Zechariah, he doesn't know who it is. But in every case, the reaction was the same. They were afraid, right? Go back, Now go back to the handout. You can look at this with me. Verse 13, if you have your Bibles, you can look there as well. It says, uh, It says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. In other words, your prayer has been answered. Remember, we talked about this in his mind. What prayer? The long ago prayer that you stopped praying, but we, that prayer has been answered. Oh, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. There it is. And you shall call his name John. Now, in the Hebrew, the meaning of the word of the name John is God has been gracious right God has shown favor or as I would like to say it God's goodness is on display and we may we may assume their their understanding was that God had said no to their long ago prayer for a child we spent some time talk about that that was a dream of their younger years they had let go of that dream because they were now old. So when the angel says, You're going to have a son, he's thinking in his mind, How can I have a son? What are you talking about? We st- what prayers answered? That prayer, that we stopped praying that prayer a long time ago. We we accepted the fact that we would never have a son. The older version says they were stricken, in, well stricken in years. And I'm sure that that reality had been for them a kind of a pain to bear. Um, they had nonetheless decided that the barren womb, that That their incapacity to have a child, with all of its sadness and melancholy, would not be allowed to overwhelm their joy for life nor their love for God. And that is a beautiful thing to consider. For they had determined not to allow their unfortunate situation, which again, in some people's mind, was even, some people saw it as a stigma, others saw it as a, a kind of a judgment. And they would have meant well. But they had not allowed those perceptions, their disappointment to ruin them and destroy them. Instead, they had chosen to serve God as joyfully and as sincerely as they could within the framework of that disappointment. They had given up on those prayers. They had stopped praying. Those were long ago prayers. That was a part of a younger period of their life that had passed them by. Now they were older. There was no ability to have children. And that was okay. And now this... this, this Whatever it is telling me that we're going to have, who are you? What are you doing in here? What is this? What's going on? You're going to have a son. God has sent me to, to tell you that. It's, it's intense. Now, one of the things I want to note about Elizabeth and Zechariah, and it comes out here, and I asked, and for those of us who take notes or just for us to consider this, we'll put this up. But, but adversity and struggle is, listen, listen, this is very important. Maybe for some of us heading into this, this Christmas season, and even towards the end of the year, if we have things in our life that aren't going exactly as we had hoped, and I want this to be, let this linger for a moment, because adversity and struggle, in their case, extreme adversity and deep disappointment, either drives us up, and again, I was thinking about today, it either drives us up or it drives us down. It either drives us up or drives us down, but rarely does it leave us the same, right? The choice is ours, right? God will help us. But it, when we are in these places of struggle, if we can turn to him in these places, God, again, it's either going to drive us upwards towards the Lord and more openness in our life to God and more vulnerability and honesty and sincerity, or it's going to drive us down into self, self-despair it's going to paralyze our capacity to enjoy life. Again, I look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they are a model of how to handle disappointment in life in a way that is redemptive, or at least stays open to the promptings of God. It doesn't close. You can, it, it can either going to close us down, or it's going to open us up. that, that is why. Listen, that's why adversity is actually an opportunity, because. And struggle is, even though we don't want it, it's because in those places we're, we're gonna open up, the possibility for opening up to God in a way that wouldn't have happened otherwise is there. Now it's true, it might drive us in a different direction. But if God has his way in our life, we're actually gonna come out of it, listen, a deeper soul. We're gonna come out of it healthier and better For some of us, this is a promise for us to lay hold of, even if we find ourselves in the place of struggle right now, the promise that God can use this situation in our life. And again, they had chosen an attitude, a posture. Do you have an area in your life that is not working right or is deeply disappointing? Is there something there? In this place, let us look at the example. Let us choose our attitude and our response. And again, it appears on the basis of what we see here that Zechariah and Elizabeth had decided not to be bitter. Um, And the other thing that came to my mind was they did not allow their disappointment in their life of what wasn't working right, listen, to drive a wedge between them. Some situations... Are in life are either going to make us bitter or better, pull us apart or bring us together. Some situations in life, and I'm talking relationally, are either going to make us bitter or better, pull us up, pull us apart or bring us together. Hey, you know what? I want you to I want you to speak this out loud with me. I'm gonna I want us to read this together. Let's do this together right there. Some situations in life are either going to make us bitter or better, pull us apart, or bring us together. Pull us apart or bring us together. This could have been a wedge issue, could have ruined their whole life. But they chose to let it pull them together. You're gonna see it shows up. That's part of the reason God could work out its purpose. It was a purpose they could not have envisioned, nor planned for, nor prepared for. But instead of becoming a wedge issue for division, Listen, this is the difference between what our world's culture often does with problems and what the Lord invites us to do with him. He wants to bring grace into situations that would otherwise just, just be just destructive. If we welcome him in, instead of something becoming a wedge... God can actually make it a unifying thing. Again, that phrase to me, right, either going to make us bitter or better, pull us apart or bring us together. Bitter or better, pull us apart or bring us together. It's a choice we make. I love what they did. In, the, in any case, the angel had declared their life was about to change, uh, that they were going to have a son in their old age and they were going to name him. They were told, Zechariah was told, you're going to name him. We need you to name, you were to name him John. Then look how he's described. Look at verse 14. This is what this this son is going to be like. First off, you will have, look at verse 14, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. His birth will be a source of joy and happiness to you and to others. For he will be great before the Lord. Look how John's described. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. That's the description. He will have a unique anointing on his life. That's what we're being told. A calling. He is destined from from God's perspective for greatness. He is to be what they called in the Old Testament a Nazarite. From his youth, he is to live a life of exceptional self-discipline and restraint. He was not to drink alcohol. That's what this meant there. But rather to live with exceptional clarity. He, he will be filled, we're told here, with the spirit, even out of his womb. The presence and the power of the Lord will be upon him. Look at verse 16. And the angel says, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That is, he will be a prophetic reformer, a catalyst that causes people to return to the Lord. And his ways, Verse 17, And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. It, what the angel says is like, like the last great prophet of Israel, Elijah, he will confront a degenerate age. The utterly corrupt, paranoid vassal of Rome, uh, Herod, was the supreme manifestation of the age. And what the angel says is, this one will unify. Where there is division and neglect, he will call people who are disobeying God and who should know better to return to the path of wisdom. Lastly, he says, and certainly not the least, he says, he will prepare the way for the Lord. He will prepare the people for the coming of Messiah. Wow! Zechariah, is stunned he goes from fear like who are you what is this you know my name you're in the shadows reveal yourself what are you doing in here to hearing these words and all of a sudden he has to process what is happening your prayers have been answered your prayers have been heard i didn't pray I, i've been praying for years it doesn't matter those prayers have been heard god's about to give you a son you and your wife elizabeth's gonna have a son in your old age one that you could not have anticipated. His name is John, and he will do these things. God is about to do a new thing. Silence is being broken. A new song is breaking out. Messiah is coming, and you're part, you're the prelude to it. You're the prelude. It starts with you. Oh, Zechariah, do you see what God is doing? Right? That's the moment. But watch what happens Zechariah, now he's having a conversation. He whatever you are, I'm now talking with you. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? Ah, for I am old, I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So Zechariah's first response is, Well, how's that possible? How can I believe you? If you haven't noticed, I'm old. So although although Zechariah is a godly man, a man of deep spiritual conviction and sensitivity, he nonetheless is revealed here as staggering in unbelief, isn't he? He's stuck in the natural. His faith, and I understand it, buckles under the weight of the word that he is being given. The message he was being given was meant to encourage, to excite him. To make his heart leap with joy, I'm going to have a son. That's what it was meant to do, but it didn't happen. Zechariah was a priest. He of all people should have been, would have been familiar, right? With, with the Holy Scriptures. And he would have known in his mind so deeply implanted as he had read the Scriptures over and over again about the very origin of, the, of his very people. How God started with the miracle birth, the nation of Israel how it was when God came to Abram in his old age and Sarah in her old age. And God touched her womb when she thought she couldn't have any children. Abraham even thought the promise was going to come for, through Ishmael, the, the child of um, you know, Sarah's handmaid, Hagar. They, had, they were well past the age of having children when God said, I'm touching you in a unique way. And out of that is going to come a son of promise. You're going to name him Isaac. His name's going to mean laughter. And out of laughter is going to come a nation of people. Now, Zechariah would have known that story. He had taught that story. He had lived that story. It had been part of his entire worldview from its very beginning. This was not something like it was out of... This is the thing, right? It's fascinating when you think about it. In, in his mind, uh, it's a reminder, I suppose, that it is possible to love God sincerely, to believe in his teachings, to engage him devotionally, which he was committed, and yet struggled to stay open to his capacity to invade invade the natural realm with the out of the ordinary, which is what the essence of Christmas is. God's landing and loving invasion into humanity. And that's how it is for us sometimes. Stay with me on this, you guys. Stay with me right here. Put this, we can trust God's word for what has been centuries past, but struggle to trust, right? His word for our present I believe in the God's word, but can we trust it for our present? I look at what's going on with Zechariah. He believes in God. He's doing what he's doing utterly sincerely. This is in the middle of a sacred moment. He's belie- he believes, he's taught these words. He's digested these words. He's embraced these words. He believes that God does do these kinds, that he has a pattern of doing these kinds of things. He's just not able to do it for me. See? See how that is sometimes? I believe your word, Lord, from a distance. But God wants us to take his word from the distance and bring it into our present He wants us to claim the words, the promises, as our own. Do you see how that is? We believe it's true, but in certain situations, struggle to believe it's true for us. Particularly in the unique situation that we might find ourselves in and be required to exercise faith for. Oh God, that's something you do for other people, but not for me. And I'm suggesting that the Lord actually calls us to bring his word into our present and to, and, and to breathe it in through faith. And to let faith arise within us because the very coming of Jesus is the invasion of God into the human experience. It's the, it's the unordinary into the ordinary to help lift us into God's extraordinary. Verse 10, look at this you guys, I'm 19, excuse me. And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel. Well, look at, watch what happens. I am am Gabriel. Why does he say that? What's happening here? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. Gabriel, it may seem, is a little surprised by the response of Zechariah. He seems to have interpreted Zechariah, and I think legitimately so, that he seems to have interpreted Zechariah's words as an expression of unbelief. I mean, again, Zechariah knows the history of God's working. Um, he, he's in the midst of the most intense spiritual undertaking of his life. He's probably never felt closer to God than in this moment. The closest to the sacred he would ever get was happening right before him. And he's talking to someone who says he's been sent from God, an angelic being who has stepped into the material, and yet he's questioning. In other words, he's declaring to the angel his need for a sign. Something to go off of. Something to verify what was supposed to be good news, a source of joy for you. Gabriel, you know what I think was happening here? Gabriel was expecting Zechariah to go, no! I'm going to have a son! No! No! I, they cannot be. Oh God, you're so good. Ah, oh, this is amazing. You know he was expecting. No, nah, this is the business. I mean. we prayed for this long time ago. But now it's happening. Oh, are you serious? God is on the march. The Messiah that we've all believed for, who we've we've anticipated coming. You mean he's coming? And you mean I'm part of that story in some way? My son is going to be the one welcoming in the coming of Messiah. No. Oh God, like that was what I think Gabriel's expecting. What he gets is, hey, let's talk about this for a moment. I mean, mean, yeah, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He's expecting enthusiasm. Instead, he gets equivocation. It's like you telling someone, this is the best news ever. And then after you share it, it's like, you know. And you're going... Come on! I mean, this is really good. Yeah, but you know, are you sure that's what's actually happening here? Sign, I. You know, I. The, remember, he goes back. What does he say? He goes, "You know uh, what? Well, how shall I know this? I'm an old man." Basically. What can you do to prove that this is gonna happen? Well, I'm gonna need a little more proof than that just to believe you. And I don't know who you are, how you got here. I don't even know how you know my name. I don't know anything about what's happening here, but the one thing I know is I need a little more information and I'm gonna need a little bit more than what you're giving me before I'm gonna get happy about it. Just let's be clear on that, okay? Okay, yeah, yeah. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. That's what follows, look at it. It says, behold, okay, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign, here it is, all right? I'm having fun there. All right. Verse 20. Look at it, you guys. This is great. And behold. Okay. You want a sign? All right. Here's your sign. You're not going to be able to talk. You're going to be silent. You're going to lose your capacity to speak until the day that these things take place. How about that sign? How do you like that sign? I don't know if he meant it that way. But he did say this because you did not believe my words and instead articulated your unbelief to me, in spite of the goodness of God that is being sent your way, there will be a period in your life where you will have no voice. And unbelief, particularly when it's articulated, will lock things up in you and me, which is why I say, Lord, help me to watch my words. Articulated faith opens things up articulated unbelief closes things down. And you know, you, you know what happened next, right? Zechariah says, well, how can that be? The only thing is when he said it, it was like this. How can that be? <laughs> right? He had no, that was it. You know, let, let's talk about this some more. But what came out of him was, nothing nothing (laughs) and the people this is what we're told um, because you do not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time verse 21 and the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple this was usually what would happen is you would go in you would offer up the prayers and you would walk out and the people were praying and everyone would pray together praise to God and, and they're waiting but this was like what's going on in there? And maybe some of them were wondering, is, is he talking to himself? I think he stopped talking all of a sudden. Yeah, I think he stopped talking all of a sudden. The people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay. He's sure taken a long time. Verse 22, we're almost done. And when he came out, last one, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized this guy saw some, He saw a vision in the temple. And he kept. He didn't know sign language, but he knew how to make signs to them. And it says that he, he kept making signs and remained mute. He couldn't talk. Right? He couldn't. And so this is important. Are there words this season we're being asked to embrace? And we'll leave it with this. Is there a birthing of something joyful? A good news he's wanting to bring to us? something that reflects his favor into our life? Come on now. What are we going to embrace? Is God trying to say, I am wanting to give you something in your life of a new thing. I have, I want my goodness to be on display in your life. Will you embrace that word? Will you embrace it? Or are you going to pull back from it? Is there a birthing of something joyful he's wanting to bring us to? Something, again, that we're to adjust our attitude around, to position ourselves for as we head into the new year. What is it? What is it? Because I'll tell you this, if we position ourselves in faith, we're going to get a song, a new song for a new year. That doesn't mean there's no struggle. We get to choose which way we're going to go. This Christmas season heading into the coming week and the week following. This is very significant time. It's a time when God moves in unique ways. I maintain that there are two times when in the course of a year when God, in, an, in a global way, tends to move more. One is at around Easter time, and the other at Christmas, and I think this is my perception because so many people's hearts are turned towards the Lord from every part of the world at the same time. And there creates a unique opportunity of grace to flow. I'm suggesting that this is a time to stay open, to cultivate openness to the Lord and the word he wants to bring into our lives. What is that word? One of the things that I, I want to, help, the church is wanting to help everyone with is for the next two weeks up into the new year for sure. Remember, um, remember you have those morning, you have a little morning communication, right? Our rise and shines. If you, if you haven't you know, downloaded the app, download it. Every morning we send a new, I send a new one out. All I'm doing is talking about the things that are either we've discussed in different ways or where we're going. It's just a quick little devotional punch in a good way. Uh, for all of us to put in addition to our lives, uh, to listen for the Lord's voice, to build momentum into the new year, build momentum into Christmas and out of Christmas, to stay connected to his word, to stay involved, to stay open, right? That's what I'm suggesting we do. So if you, again, take advantage of everything that we're trying to do. If you're not away, get to the candlelight service. Take it very, keep your heart open and soft. Be really open to God at this time. You know, spend time with His Word. Like I said, engage those Rise and Shine devotionals. Be a part of it. Pray for our church. Just stay tender, open. Right, this is the time to do it. All right, I'm going to pray. I know I've gone a little, we've gone a little longer, but I'm going to ask God to just bless this. And then we've got we've got a be- we've got a, a song to close with. Alice is going to close us with, and it's it's a beautiful song that it connects to what we've been talking about. But I want to i ask the Lord to just bless this time and, and have us not rush past it. So Lord, I ask as we are here as a people gathered that you would let your words settle in. And again, I'm just, certain phrases stand out to me. You know, it's either gonna make us bitter or better. Uh, you know, pull us apart or bring us together. Are there words that we are to speak faith into, articulate faith into rather than articulate unbelief? We get to decide. How we respond to your invitations of grace. What goodness do you want to display in our life? Yes, by faith display in our life. I ask, the Lord, for there to be openness in our hearts. Help us to sincerely engage you. And I just pray over these, even these closing minutes that we're about to share just in song, as we close out with this, this these couple of minutes together. Let this be a a settling moment for the word that you've spoken to us. This is what I pray, the grace and goodness of God, so we honor you, Jesus, in your name. Amen, God.